0: You're listening to the Forefront Church Podcast in New York City, where our vision is to see lives, neighborhoods, and our city renewed through Jesus. I just feel like the people at Forefront really live out their faith, and the leadership at Forefront understands how to really love people in a way that meets them where they are. I'm really introverted. I think I definitely have struggled with, you know, feeling like as an introvert, is there something wrong with me or like am I held back because of it? It is just harder because I think socially you do feel like maybe you're not connecting with people Um, as well as if maybe you were an extrovert. I actually talked to Ryan about, you know, how could I get more integrated into the community? How can I possibly serve better as an introvert? Because I tried the coffee bagels team but I'm like, I don't really like small talk so maybe that's not good for me. He just thought of like interesting ways for me to get involved. Like to do research for a sermon and for me to feel like I'm helping in a way that's significant. And I don't need the credit or anything like that, but it's like, it's cool that I'm putting together some stats for him and that he's going to use it on Sunday. And he was like, oh, you should maybe serve on the graphics team because you might like that. And I love it. Like, I'm like, why can't I serve more? There's like too many people on this team. I just feel like that is using the talent that I have. I like focusing on one thing and to do it for a service and to make it as smooth as possible for everyone to enjoy the experience, like I love doing that. We also eventually uh, thought of starting an introverted small group. Right now, we're going to do a book study, so we're going to read *The Introvert's Advantage* and uh, just discuss it. It's really low key. It's a bunch of introverts, so it's really quiet and contained. <laughs> but it's good because I think there's no pressure to talk or to, um, you know, spend more energy than required. In the past, I don't feel like I've ever had a personal relationship with my pastor. I, I didn't really feel like I ever had that within the church. I have that with friends, I have it with maybe family, but not with my pastor. He tries to get to know you as an individual and your life experiences and kind of what's made you who you are. I'm really like thankful for that.
1: 1 Corinthians twelve, twelve to twenty seven. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ.
0: Some are some
1: Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not part of the body, because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body.
0: And if the ear says, I am not part of the body, because I am not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or
1: if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part.
0: Yes, there are many parts, but only one body.
1: The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact,
0: some parts of the body to be just and are actually the most necessary.
1: And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen. While the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the bodies honor and care. And those of our hearts, and have this makes for harmony among the members, so that all the members care for each other. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. So do you remember having to do group projects in school? I'm not just talking about elementary school, like even so much of high school and college seemed consumed with doing group projects and teaching us all this kindergarten lesson of you have to play nice with each other. Um, I didn't learn that lesson so well. (laughs) Anytime I had to work on a group project, I very often took over the group and frequently I did the bulk of the work myself. I'm a perfectionist and I need everything to be done right and often that means I have to do it myself. Um, I worked very hard, people actually did want me to be in their groups because I organized everything very efficiently and I delegated tasks and when those tasks weren't done in what I thought was a timely manner, I just did it. So A plus group member right here. Uh, plus, when the group project required a book report, I'd actually read the book. Uh, so being a nerd made me really popular. That <laughs> no, didn't. Um, that's okay. Uh, so, you know who else is uh, not popular? Paul. What we, uh, what we just read together was from Paul's first letter to the Christians in Corinth, 1 Corinthians. Uh, a lot of pastors and churchgoers don't like what Paul has to say in his letters. Um, He can be contradictory or confusing. Um, And so we were sitting in a staff meeting uh, a couple weeks ago, and someone you may know, Jen Fisher, not to name names, uh, was talking about how she just didn't like Paul, and that we were studying Paul. But then she corrected herself. It wasn't Paul's work that she didn't like. It was what we've done with Paul's work that was the problem. It's how we've interpreted and read Paul's letters that have skewed their context and their meaning and made it into this contradictory, confusing, I don't really want to read those. And here's why. We are all logical, linear thinkers. Even if you think you're a more creative person, um, you're an artist, you're still a logical thinker um, because this is how the majority of us were taught. Uh, We were taught two plus two equals four. C, C A T is cat. Where's where's my cat? Yeah, caperito. I just wanted to put a caperito in there. Um, one thing follows another, building on it in a straight line. All those letters together, that cat. But have you ever felt conflicting emotions at the same time, like what we were just talking about, being excited and nervous at the same time, like? You're starting a new job, and you're really excited because it's what you've always wanted to do, but you're really nervous because it's a new environment, and maybe I shouldn't have dressed like this, and I didn't bring my lunch, so I don't know what to do. You can be excited and nervous at the same time, even though that makes no sense. They're totally opposite emotions. What Paul did is embrace this. He embraced our ability to hold conflicting emotions and ideas at the same time. He was a paradoxical or dialectical thinker. Dialectics is a philosophical term best described by uh, Georg Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel. <laughs> you like my German? Uh, so I know that these are really confusing terms, paradoxical, dialectics, Georg Hegel. Um, but I promise you, stick with me, you'll understand it. So, dialectical philosophy has three parts. It has a thesis or an idea, an antithesis, an antithesis, which is the opposite of that idea, and it has a synthesis or a putting together of those ideas. So you have your idea, you have your opposite, and the synthesis is the most important part because it takes parts of both and puts them together in this whole new idea. If you can hold both of them at the same time and give consideration to them both, feel both emotions at the same time, you're creating a synthesis, a new idea. So that's, it's kind of complicated, so I'm gonna tell you a little story, story time. Uh, Once there were two blind men who were advisors to a king and the king bought an elephant. The king asked the two blind men to describe the elephant. So one puts his hand on the trunk and says, An elephant is like a pillar. Okay. So the second blind man puts his hand on the tail and says, an elephant is like a rope. And the king looks at the elephant for himself, and he sees the, the legs and the trunk and the tail, and he has this whole picture of a very large gray mammal. An elephant. This is a very old story with many different versions. You may have even heard it before. And it illustrates this dialectical thinking. In this story, there's a, an original idea, a thesis. An elephant is like a pillar. And the opposite, its antithesis, is an elephant is like a rope. There are opposing ideas. How can an elephant have the properties of a pillar and be strong and sturdy and thick at the same time where it's... Uh, as the properties of a rope, and it's thin, and, and bendy, and maybe it's a little knotted. But when the king looks at the elephant for himself, he puts all of these things together about the elephant, all of its different properties together, and comes away with the whole animal, the whole picture. This is paradoxical thinking. And we, we as Christians have have already embraced this kind of thinking. It's a basis of a lot of what we believe. You just don't know it yet, and I'm putting fancy philosophical terms on it. Um, We believe that God is both divine and human. We believe that God the Father is an all-powerful God, and we believe that Jesus the Son is fully human. But we believe that both are what we call God. Were you, were you taught this as, as children maybe if you grew up in a in a Lutheran or a Catholic uh, church you learned about the Trinity you learned about these three parts in one uh, if you didn't that's okay we'll we'll talk about the Trinity um, the the main idea or thesis is that God is all-powerful that's one part of the Trinity the the antithesis of that is Jesus, the Son, is fully human. Opposing ideas. How can you be both divine and human at the same time? But the third part of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit. We accept that the Holy Spirit is God inside of you. The Trinity is God is three parts, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but he's also one God, so, the Christian view of God starts with a paradox. It starts with us accepting these things. Um, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't really make sense. Like, how can, how can God be three different things but still be one? But this is what we believe God isn't linear, God exists in a trinity. And God becomes a paradox when we try to explain it in human terms. So we're going to try to apply this type of thinking to the passage from 1 Corinthians. What's the the thesis of this passage? What's the main idea here? Well, the main idea is an interpretation you may have heard before that we're all different, but we're all together in Christ. The opposite of this idea gets a little bit more complicated. It hinges on the in Christ part. While it is you who has unique gifts and traits and is different, it is Christ in you that allows you to participate in the family of God in in Christ's body. As Paul puts it, I, or rather, the grace of God within me. The synthesis of holding Christ in me and me in Christ is the same as seeing God the Holy Spirit. Elsewhere in Romans, Paul puts it like this. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Through this participation in God, we can have, because of Christ within us, we are taking part in the Trinity. What does taking part in the Trinity look like? Well, I can't tell you concretely, um, but I can give you a metaphor. So in science class, uh, you might have learned about the atom. The center of the atom is called the nucleus, and it has two things in it, protons and neutrons. Put them together, they're a little nucleus ball. Uh, Orbiting around the protons and neutrons in the nucleus are electrons. They're all part of the atom, but the electrons are kind of like going around them. Um, think of the protons and neutrons as God the Father and God the Son, they're smashed in the middle, and God the Spirit orbits around them. Three different parts, still all one, one atom. And when we are invited to participate in the Trinity, we are invited into that orbit. We can become a part of that basic building block, that little atom and orbit kind of with, the, with the electrons because we have God's spirit in us. God exists in this relationship between protons, neutrons and electrons and that's what we are invited into. God it is the spirit that animates all things and God, that spirit is in you. So instead of reading the metaphor that Paul gives us in this passage of different parts of the body as we're all different but valuable members of God's family, we can synthesize a deeper meaning. We are all in Christ because he is in us. All right, so we, we got that. Uh, what does that have to do with Joyce's story that we just watched? Uh, You heard in the video that Joyce started an introvert's group here at Forefront, and I've jumped on board and I'm helping her lead it. She says a lot and I agree. Uh, We balance each other out really well. We're both introverts, but Joyce is a feeler and I am a thinker. I want things that are efficient and expedient. I took over those group projects in school because I was sick of standing around chatting and just wanted to get things done. Whereas Joyce wants things that make everyone feel good and in harmony. So when I want to make a quick decision so we can just move on, Joyce wants to consider how that decision will affect others. It's a good balance because we get things done and we get things planned. We actually hold the gatherings and people feel good when they're in the gatherings. They feel comfortable. Both of us are introverts, but we're very different. And as Joyce explained, she started this group for like-minded people to have a place to come and be who they are. That may sound a little bit like our church was acting like the church at Corinth, saying, oh, well, I'm a nose, so I'm better than you, You who aren't I. But that's not why she started the group or what's happening in our community. What she and I were seeking was connection, this being in Christ. This body metaphor, we're all parts of Christ's body. It makes sense to us. We go to great lengths to take care of our bodies. Think about it. What's, what's the first thing you do in the morning? I put my contacts in, brush my teeth, take a shower. Maybe you have breakfast, drink a cup of coffee before interacting with humans. The first thing we do is clean and feed our bodies. That we get on the train to go to work, and what do, what do we think? I think, I hope that person doesn't, doesn't get on the crowded train and stand right next to me, or I hope they don't touch me when they reach into their pocket for their phone. And, like, we, just, we protect this personal space around our bodies. We don't want other people's bodies getting into our personal space. But actually, our bodies are transient. Every seven years, our bodies completely replace themselves. They may look the same. You know, you still have the same eye color, same skin color, same hair. Might be going gray a little bit. Um, But you still look the same, but your old cells have died, been shed, and you have completely new cells in all of your body. So this body that we hold really tightly and think of as our self is really not. It's got a seven-year lifespan. I'm not saying that taking care of your body is bad, um, but I am saying that there's something more to us. So the other day, uh, at the end of a yoga class, the teacher thanked us for bringing our energy to class. I know it sounds kind of like hippie nonsense, but... Maybe you guys in Brooklyn are are used to that. (laughs) But uh, think about that with me for a minute. If my body is not who I am, if my body has a turnover rate of seven years, what am I? Who am I? Spirit. Whatever breathed life into me and sustains that animation, that is who and what I am, and I believe that that is God. Richard Rohr says that requirement for participation in life and in God's kingdom is just getting the who question right. Who are you? When we stop thinking who we are is this outward presentation, our body, and we root ourselves inward in the spirit breathed into those bodies, in the Christ in us, then we can participate. This is what Joyce was looking for, was participation, the being in Christ. What, what does that look like? That sounds great, but what does it look like? You don't have to do it all, you don't have to be it all, you just have to participate. You just have to connect is what Rohr says. Okay, how do we do that? By recognizing that Christ is in each of us. By looking at each other and seeing that, seeing that shalom of God. Recognize that on a corporate level, we are all in Christ. If Christ is in each of us, then putting us together in a community, we have Christ in the community. This is where I think that we fall down. Uh, When we read this passage from 1 Corinthians, we think about it from our individual point of view. I am an ear, and I am in Christ, and Christ is in me. All right, great, got that. We don't think about it on the, the macro level. I am Christ's body, therefore we are Christ's body. We focus too quickly and too narrowly on our spiritual gift, our unique traits, our journey, But if we pull back a little bit, we see that what applies on the individual scale, Christ in me, also applies on the communal scale, Christ in each of us, all of us. The important part is moving towards treating each other as if this were true, rather than carrying ourselves as if this were true. Let's go back to that Roar quote. Uh, You don't have to be it all, you don't have to do it all. Stop right there. Participation is not individual. Participation is collective. The collective doesn't rely on a single person. It relies on everyone. Look at that. You don't have to be a perfect individual symbol of Christ's love to participate in Christ. Isn't that a relief? I'm relieved. You can be a part of something bigger, a part of of Christ's love, without having it all figured out, without doing everything right, being who you are. To be in Christ, you just have to be willing to look at somebody else with love. I need to hear this constantly. When I was taking over all those group projects, I was thinking, no one's work ethic is as good as mine, no one can do anything as right as I can. But here's the thing, doing it alone, muscling through with this tight grip on control, it's not what we're meant to do. Control makes me feel safe. I know what the outcome's gonna be. But control also, allows me to set myself up as better than other people. The other kids in my group working on those projects weren't lazy, they weren't stupid. I put that on them when I thought that I was the only one who could do it right. When I, what I take away from this then is seeing Christ in other people means valuing them makes me more loving towards others. I see that everyone has a a valuable contribution. I wanna talk to and work with other people when I recognize and see that Christ is in them. I think our community does and can look at each other with love in this way. Knowing that it comes from Christ within us and Christ within others. We can support each other, because we know that the same animating spirit in me is also the same spirit that's animating you. Our community supports and serves each other in a lot of different ways. Um, The band is going to come up and lead us in worship in a moment. The greeters will serve communion. People came in early, set up all the chairs. We provide meals when someone is sick. Our small groups meet regularly during the week. And later we're going to recognize some of the, the leaders we have here who make all of these things, all this support happen. Seeing Christ in others like this means you need to value who they are, even if they're different from you. That's what Joyce found in our community. And that requires all of us Rohr says, the gospel message must have concrete embodiment in order to be be shared and to be felt and to be true. Humans have to participate in the Trinity. Humans have to participate in God's kingdom, in sharing love and seeing love. It doesn't just require the small group leaders, it doesn't just require the staff of a church, it requires all of us participating in something bigger. Have you ever heard that saying, uh, 20% of people are doing 80% of the work? We can't do that. We have to be a church of the 100%. Not 20% of the people serving everyone else, 100% of us. We need every single person. Participation also looks different for everybody. Joyce's participation looks a lot different than your participation or the participation of the person sitting next to you. It could be volunteering on a Sunday, leading a group during the week, researching for a sermon, giving regularly. But it always means investment. Investment in this larger story that we're all part of. Not just some of us, but all of us together. The greeters are uh, gonna come forward now and they're gonna pass around some slips of paper for you. We're gonna take a few minutes and meditate here. It's something that I hope that you will take into your everyday life and remember uh, in your interactions with other people. Think about what the consequences of this would be if you really thought this when you interacted with other people. What would our lives look like if when we woke up this is what we thought of other people? What would our relationships look like what would our finances look like? What would our priorities look like? Would we treat each other a little bit differently? Would we participate in our community a little bit differently? So would you, would you read this phrase with me? Spirit of love in me, love through me. So let's take a few minutes and meditate silently on this phrase.